Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 20? I know we read in 1 Timothy, we did that because um, it, it lines up well with the passage. We'll go here, go through here in Acts chapter 20. Um, and Paul was the uh, one that is speaking here in Acts 20, and he is the one God used to write uh, 1 Timothy. In last week's uh, scripture and the sermon, from last week, we learned that Paul was doing everything he could to get back to Jerusalem so that he could celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, um, probably also to bring the church at Jerusalem uh, a gift and a love offering from all of the churches that God had used Paul and his mission team to plant in the Gentile world. But uh, in today's passage, we'll look at verses 17 to 38. Uh, Paul is still on his way there to Jerusalem, but he's got a pause in his voyage he pauses in the city of Miletus, and that uh, is near enough to Ephesus that Paul takes this opportunity to call the leaders of the churches in Ephesus to come to him there at Miletus so he can say goodbye, so he can give them some final instruction. You know, uh, throughout the book of Acts, Paul is portrayed, I, I would say, more as a missionary, uh, maybe an evangelist, where he's given out the gospel to those who don't know Jesus Christ, to those who've never received Christ as Savior. But at least in this section here of God's Word, we, we see Paul's warm, uh, caring, pastoral heart for those who have already received Jesus as their Savior. What he does, what Paul does, and what he communicates in verses 17 to 38, it lines up so well with all the various letters that God had Paul write that make up most of the New Testament, you know, Romans, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, on and on. Um, earlier we read 1st Timothy 4 in our scripture reading time. That was a letter that God had Paul write to Timothy while he was a pastor here in Ephesus. And very strong similarities in its content and the things we find Paul say here in what I guess I'm going to call a faithful farewell that Paul gives to these uh, Christians here and these church leaders from Ephesus. Let's begin in verse 17. We'll read verses 17 through 38. And it says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. You know how I kept nothing, kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and I have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, 
so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, you shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I'm pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I've coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I've showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and you ought to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and he prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, glimpse into, the, uh, into Paul's heart, insight, uh, how much he loved the Christians uh, here at Ephesus, this church that uh, you had him plant and, and you had disciple for uh, two, three years or better. Lord, as much we can learn here, uh, we get a testimony of, of Paul and his lifestyle and his ministry among them. Uh, we, we hear a written testimony here this morning, God, of uh, what Paul felt was necessity to communicate uh, to the Christians, not just them, but even to us here uh, this morning and um, Lord, I pray that we would follow in Paul's uh, footsteps. At one point in one of his letters, he says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ Jesus. We would do well to do that. And what a testimony we could have if, if our lifestyle was such that we could tell others, be imitators of, of me as, as I follow Jesus Christ. I pray that would be true. Speak to us through your word this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, in verses 17 to, to 27, Paul brings uh, to the attention of the Ephesian pastors his testimony. Um, we learn of Paul's conversation. I'm using that in the King James Version sense of the word conversation. Um, his lifestyle, Paul's lifestyle. And we learn that Paul's ministry was faithful consistently. Verse 17 explains this meetup here. Paul's in Miletus a port city close to Ephesus, and he requests that the pastors of the different churches in Ephesus come to meet him there. And then in verses 18 through 27, Paul gives them the testimony of how he lived, his conversation, his lifestyle, and all those years that Paul ministered to them. Uh, that's an instruction for Christian living that God has Paul communicate uh, to the church at Philippi, and to us, to every Christian and every time. In Philippians 1.27, Paul says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Not talking about what we think of conversation, but again, your lifestyle. Only let your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And so I ask you this morning, does your conversation, does a testimony of how you live life, does it become 
meaning is it worthy, uh, is how you live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel you claim to be saved by, the gospel that you claim to believe. Because Paul's conversation was, I know that's a King James word for lifestyle, but I think it's a good one. And here's why. Because our conversation communicates a whole lot more than anything we might say, doesn't it? How we live. Our walk speaks a lot louder than our talk, amen? And at the end of verse 18, Paul tells the Ephesian pastors this, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia, you know after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. You know it, gentlemen. Y'all know what my conversation was like, how I lived reflecting the Christ that I was preaching to you. And not just every once in a while, but at all seasons, Paul says there. Paul had a consistent conversation of Christ-likeness. And then at the beginning of, of verse 19, if we look there, Paul reminds them of what they already knew. Here's Paul's testimony among them. He was always serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Ego was never on Paul's mind, only exalting Jesus Christ. Serving the Lord with many tears and temptations. I mean, that was Paul's experience, and not just here at Ephesus, uh, I want you to listen to another testimony that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 27. Paul says there, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, and that's probably a little bit of an understatement. We looked at that earlier at the book of Acts. I mean, Paul died there. He was stoned. Christ uh, brought him back to life because his ministry wasn't done. Three times I was shipwrecked, Paul says. Uh, I spent a night and a day in the open see, I've been constantly on the move. We know that to be true. Um, I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from my fellow Jews, from Gentiles in the city, in the country, at sea, from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And it's noteworthy that, that this, uh, here in Acts 20, this is near the end of Paul's third missionary journey. I mean, some of that stuff that was mentioned in 2 Corinthians 11, that happened to him right off the bat on his first mission trip. Didn't stop him, did it? Didn't stop him. And he's going to testify of that in a few verses. Uh, Paul's conversation, the way he lived, serving the Lord, it was faithful. Paul gets a bit more specific in verse 20 about his ministry directly to the Ephesian Christians and the churches in that city over the past few years. He says, you know uh, you know how I kept back nothing profitable unto you, but I've showed you, I've taught you publicly and from house to house. There's a lot to unpack in that verse. Uh, Paul kept back nothing that was profitable unto them. And I want to connect this verse with one that's farther down, verse 27. Would you look at Paul's testimony there? He says, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now, some translations read the whole counsel of God. That's the idea there. I mentioned briefly last week, but here in verses 24 and 27, Paul reiterates what was his main ministry everywhere. It was pointing people to have a passionate love and a priceless value for God's word. Throughout verses 17 to 38 here, God has Paul use words like preach and, and proclaim and taught and teach and declare and testify. All of these things related to his years-long ministry among them. He taught them publicly. 
I'm sure you remember back in chapter 19, Paul rented uh, the school of Tyrannus as a teaching location. And from that record, we could estimate that. And let's say Paul served there too. We know it's about two to three years. Two years, he taught Christians the word of God there several hours a day, six days a week, probably a, a total of over 1,500 hours. And Paul's teaching and preaching and proclaiming and declaring, it kept back nothing profitable from them. But rather, Paul declared unto them all the counsel, the whole counsel of God. Church, we need pastors and preachers who will follow Paul's example today. I mean, that's why we do what we do here in the majority of our corporate worship services. Sermons are delivered in a, what we call an exegetical, expository manner. We go through books of the Bible. We do that so that we can declare unto you the whole counsel of God. How sad it is that in so many churches this does not occur. No wonder the majority of Christians here in America are for the most part biblically illiterate. No wonder that according to a recent Gallup poll, there's only 20% of evangelical Christians, 20% of Christians who say they believe the gospel, only 20% say they believe the Bible is the literal word of God. That's sad. 20% of Christians in America? That's because we have preachers who don't declare the whole counsel of God. We've got preachers who do keep back what is profitable from the people, that there are Christians who are ignorant of God's word and who are living lives that testify of that ignorance. John Milton, poet, I'll call him a theologian, you know, he wrote Paradise Lost in England centuries ago. He said, it is a solemn thing and no small scandal in Christ's kingdom to see God's children starving while they sit at God's table. Yeah, how sad. There's too many preachers who pick and choose passages of Scripture to preach who avoid difficult passages. In reality, they're depriving God's people of what God says is profitable. And that's one major reason why we find the church in the sad state it's in today. Please be confident. Your current pastoral staff here, uh, I know this is our heart. We have this commitment. This is how God wants pastors to minister to their congregations. So we commit to you. And we commit to God to do this, be obedient that way. We do it on Sunday. We do it on Wednesday. Uh, in other teaching opportunities like Sunday school or, or Bible studies or Sunday night, we can address topical issues or, or current events. And that's important too. It is. Um, but it's clear here how God desires his people to come to have a passionate love and, and have a priceless value for his word. It's through exegetical, expository preaching where nothing profitable is kept back. And every part of God's word is profitable, isn't it? Every single part, every word that his Holy Spirit inspired uh, human authors to write. Let's get back to verse 21. Let's go up there. Paul tells us there um, that while in Ephesus he testified to both the Jews and the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message that saves, those two elements. Uh, repentance uh, toward God and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance, turning away from sin. Turning away from me trying to save myself by my uh, own good works or something else. And then faith. When you turn away from something, you've got to be turning to something. Faith is turning to who Jesus is and what he has done to save us from our sins. And then in verse 22, Paul shares with the Ephesian pastors his plans. The Holy Spirit, he's leading him to go to Jerusalem. Uh, he's had prophetic warnings, and he's going to receive some more on the way there that things are not going to go well for him there. 
But still the Holy Spirit is leading him there with this strong conviction. And as Paul says in verse 23, those warnings really don't matter to him because that's been Paul's experience everywhere he went, hasn't it? And about every city, he was run out of it, usually after being imprisoned or beaten or having some threat like we read about in 2 Corinthians 11. And, uh, you know, Jesus promised his followers as much, didn't he? John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribute. Don't you love the promises of God? We love most of them. I don't know if we love this one. In this world, you will have tribulation. Don't fear. Why can we not fear? Because Jesus said, I have overcome. I have overcome the world. And uh, the threat of trials and tribulations that wouldn't, it could not deter Paul from the Holy Spirit's leading from the mission that God had given him. That's Paul's testimony in verse 24, isn't it? None of these things move me. <laughs> All of those things I mentioned in 2 Corinthians 11 that Paul went through, the, the, the you know, beatings with five times with uh, 40 lashes minus one, three times with all those things. None of those things move me. Not people's warnings of the danger that was ahead for Paul. Not the imprisonments. Not all the attempts on his life. Not the shipwrecks. Not the deprivations. In fact, Paul says right after that, neither count I my life dear to myself. How could Paul have such courageous boldness? I mean, not even a concern that he might lose his life in all of this. Well, because Paul's focus was not on self-preservation, was on successful mission accomplishment, Paul continues in verse 24, so that I might finish my course with joy. Not, not reach heaven's gates because, with regret because I let fear take hold. No, so that I might finish this ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Comfort was never primary in Paul's life. A conversation, a lifestyle of faithfully obeying what Jesus told them to do, that's what was primary in his life. Paul lived for the gospel, for it being proclaimed, uh, it being received, to see it transform people's lives. And, and Christian, it's in the gospel that we find the source for such boldness. Uh, what is the gospel? Paul breaks it down real simply in 1 Corinthians 15. He said that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that all who trust in who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we will be given eternal life. Eternal life. I mean, there's your basis for boldness there. There's a song uh, that says, It is not death to die. One of my favorite old-timey books from Puritan John Owen the death of death and the death of Christ. I mean, do you understand what the gospel, its implication? Death has been defamed. The grave no longer has its victory. The victory is in Jesus. That's the gospel, and that's the gospel we need to embrace and live by and live out. That's the gospel that we need to proclaim to those who don't know it and who haven't trusted in Jesus as Savior. This is the gospel that Paul shared about when he was preaching the kingdom of God, as verse 25 says. That's how Paul had this boldness. Every time we come together on a Sunday morning to worship, it ought to be a reminder of that. I mean, why do we come and worship on Sunday morning? Who rose from the dead Sunday morning? Jesus Christ. And because he rose, like we sing the song, usually on Easter, made like him, like him we rise. If we're made like him, if we have uh, him as our personal savior, do you long to see uh, God move and work like he did in the book of Acts? That's been one of the things that's been uh, passionate on my heart since we've been going through this, this book. Um, I do. I do. But listen, that will not happen until we get here. 
to have a boldness to like Paul had, to where none of these things move me. Uh, if we would be like Paul, if we'd be moved, if we'd be motivated only by the gospel, if we could just get an ounce of Paul-like boldness and courage, because we truly believed the gospel that we claim to believe, we profess to believe, then we would have the blessing of seeing God move and work right here in our community in 2023, just like he did in the book of Acts. We would. Where's the Christian this morning who would stand up and say, none of these things move me. <laughs> I'm not going to let them. I can boldly not count my life dear to myself because I've got the insurance, assurance of eternal life forever because I really believe the gospel that I profess to believe. That's what we need if we're going to start seeing things turn around in our churches, in our community, in our country. Paul ends his testimony of his conversation, his lifestyle in verse 27. Now he gives some final instructions for these pastors who he's seeing for the last time. Uh, Paul's communication, it's faithful too. In verses 28 to 31, the first two words of verse 28, very strong. Paul commands these pastors, first of all, take heed. Take heed to yourselves. Guard. Take heed to yourselves. Pastors, and this is beyond pastors. This is to church leaders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, Awana leaders, moms and dads. Um, it will not matter much what you communicate verbally if your conversation, if your own lifestyle doesn't reinforce it. Reinforce it. That's why you need to take heed. Take heed to yourselves. And then they're told to take heed to all the flock. And God has Peter command pastors to do the same thing. In 1 Peter 5, 2, uh, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. You know, there's too many pastors who are trying to do too much in our day and age. Uh, they, they take heed to too many other things. They're distracted. They're detoured. Um, even by other ministry opportunities and people and places. What does God say here? Take heed to the flock that is among you all. That's what he says in 1 Peter 5, 2, uh, as well. Take heed to the flock among you. And then Paul says, over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. So yes, the church votes the pastor in, but Lord willing, that has been done prayerfully and biblically by listening to the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, it's him, right? It's the Holy Spirit who places pastors in the positions. This is what Paul is saying here. And we're given in these verses some of the roles of the pastor. They're, first of all, overseers. We've just seen that. They are to lead. And then there's pastors um, they are to feed, it says that right there in verse 28, and we've already learned what they're to feed the flock with, the whole counsel of God, all of God's profitable word. Um, these are not different positions like some denominations have where you've got a bishop who's over pastors, who's over, no, these are, these are different roles, different duties of one office, the office of pastor. And then Paul reminds these Ephesian pastors of a very sobering truth. The church is not their church. Their church is not their church. Yes, they lead it. That, that's God's calling and command. Yes, they feed the flock among them. But whose church is every church? It's Christ, right? Why? Now, this flock, the, the good shepherd, Jesus owns. He's the ultimate head of. He, he is the shepherd. Every pastor and under shepherd. Why is it his? Why should every pastor, why should every leader, every congregate uh, remember that? Because he bought it. It was quite a price, wasn't it? He bought it with his, his own blood. He purchased it with his own blood. I want you to think of it like this. Um, any responsible person, you're going to take much greater care of something that belongs to someone else. Isn't that true? 
I know uh, in the few times when I borrow people's, sometimes I need to borrow Joe's truck because something won't fit in the back of that Jeep. I got I to gotta put something that's longer than that. And let me tell you, when I'm driving Joe's truck, I drive even slower than normal. That might be hard for some of you to believe. But I'm also at 10 and 2. I mean, my hands don't, because this ain't my vehicle. When I borrow someone's tool or something like that, I'm going to make sure um, that uh, it is returned in better condition than when I received it. That's the idea here. And it would be good for leaders in the church to uh, keep this in mind. Verse 29, this is where the take heeds of verse 28 uh, are so vital. Paul warns these pastors, for I know this, that after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, and they won't spare the flock. Wolves. These are not believers. These are not sheep. How did Paul know this? Well, the Holy Spirit may have communicated it to Paul in some special message, but uh, look, that's just a general reality. Uh, The Ephesian church was being powerfully used by God to transform people and point them to Jesus Christ, so you better believe that's a church that Satan is going to target, that he's going to bring wolves into. And the assault is going to be two-pronged, we learn here. Uh, Paul says, grievous wolves entering the church from without, and then according to verse 30, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So uh, there'll also be a a threat from within. And we read about that earlier in 1 Timothy. People who no longer want to endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear the whole counsel of God. Treating the word of God like a golden corral buffet. Uh, I'll take what I like. I'm going to ignore what convicts, what I don't like, what offends my lifestyle. Speaking perverse things. Now, perverse here in the King James just means twisted. They'll, they'll twist the word of God. Is that happening in churches today? Yeah. Even worse, our, our modern understanding of perverse. That, that's happening, isn't it? I was watching a video. It was over in England, an Anglican church there. And uh, a guy walked up, one of the members of the church, and he finds two people, different members of the church, and they're painting the steps with rainbow colors. And he can, you know, in our day and age, you can figure out what's going on there. And he said, what are you doing? And they're, they're saying, we're doing this because God is love. He says, yes, God is love, but does God not speak to, to what you're trying to celebrate here? And they said, well, I don't know. I don't know. And you know what? She, she didn't mean God is love. She meant my understanding of love is God. Don't get those two confused. Yes, God is love, but love is not God. God is God. Amen? Amen. And he's love, and he's holy. And it's because he's holy that he demands our holiness. It's because of his love that he demands our, our holiness. Uh, things that God has so clearly described as sin and wickedness as the wide way that leads to destruction. They're not just being tolerated or ignored anymore. They're not even being celebrated by some Christian churches. Wolves have come in. Men have risen up from within and are drawing disciples away after them. Uh, Pastor Tommy and I were talking earlier this week about this passage, and he said, tongue-in-cheek, you know, it's almost like God's word is relevant for today. It It is. Paul is speaking to each one of us here this morning as as much as he is to these Ephesian pastors. So in verse 31, Paul gives this final instruction, Therefore watch and remember how by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. This was not new information. In all of those preaching and teaching sessions, Paul had warned them about this happening already. Just a needed reminder like we need this morning. A needed reminder to take heed. As God said earlier, uh, in First Timothy, Christian, devote yourself. Devote yourself to reading God's word, uh, to encouraging each other with it. Devote yourself to doctrine. We could say devote yourself to devotions. I mean, meditate on these things. That's what he said at the end of First Timothy 4. 
Give yourself wholly to them. Holy. Do that. Do that. And the threat from wolves without and people arising from within, uh, it will be powerless because truth triumphs, doesn't it? Truth triumphs. These final verses are even a warmer window into Paul's pastoral heart, his great love for those he had led to Christ. We see in verses 30 to 38, 32 to 38, Paul's commendation. And it's faithful. It's full of faith. He has to trust God with these people that are so dear to him. With great difficulty, Paul commends them in verse 32 to the Lord. He entrusts them to God and to God's word. That's a good thing to do. After all, that's, uh, that's who and what moved them to come to Jesus in the first place. And even after Paul left, that is what was going to continue, help them continue in Christ after Paul leaves God and God's word. And in verses 33 to 35, Paul testifies again. His ministry among them was biblical. It was Christ-like. There was no motivation for money or, or mammon. Often he supported himself and his other mission teammates by working and earning a living himself there. And then at the end of verse 35, we find an interesting phrase. It is more blessed to give than receive. I walked down to our, our CDC. Um, they have a they have Christmas in July. If you came here this week and wonder why in the world there was Christmas trees up on the counter, um, they do this thing called Christmas in July there. And some of the uh, kids in the um, summer school program there, they pack shoe boxes. They were packing shoe boxes, and then they had this sign up there. I said, hey, we're talking about that on Sunday. It is more blessed to give than receive. And the reason I say that's an interesting phrase is because of, of how Paul describes it here. Uh, he, he says it's the words of the Lord Jesus. He says, remember, as our Lord Jesus said, it is more blessed to give and receive. Now, that's interesting because we cannot find that anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that Jesus said that. But you know, the last verse of the Gospel of John says this, and there are also many other things with which Jesus did, that, that if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. I'm guessing this falls into one of those categories there it is more blessed to give than receive. Here's a message for us all in it. Pastor, church leader, Christian, without a heart of sacrifice, there can be no real effective, eternally rewarding ministry. Without a heart of sacrifice, anything you do or you think you're doing for the Lord um, probably is not going to be effective. The eternal reward will uh, not be there. And that sacrifice should always be a glad, a glad sacrifice. Whether it comes to money, time, any way we give of ourselves, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He's saying it's better. It's better to give than to receive. In the last three verses, uh, they part in prayer and great expressions of love for each other and the bond they have in Christ because of that bond. Isn't it awesome that there's never a goodbye for a believer? It's always a see you later. Might be up there, but it's always a see you later. Is your conversation, is how you live like Paul's? Is it worthy of the gospel of Christ? Does your walk, does it match your talk? Could you sincerely say what Paul says in God's word? Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ Jesus. And if not, would you confess that this morning? In the power of the Holy Spirit, in dependence on God's word, would you commit to that being a reality in your life going forward? Are you taking heed to yourselves and to your fellow believers? Are you being vigilant against any threat from without and within? 
uh, and then being capable of defeating those threats because of your strong biblical literacy? Do you know God's word? Do you have a passionate love and a priceless value for God's word? And if not, if the Holy Spirit has shown you that this morning, make that right. Don't delay. Tell the Lord, I, I want that kind of devotion and, and dependence on your word so, so that my conversation would be worthy of the gospel. I hope you understand um, it, it's God and his, the word of his grace. That's what Paul commends them to. It's God and the word of his grace. That has the power that the Holy Spirit uses to change lives. That's what Paul commended these people to, these people that he loved, to God and the word of God's grace. And, and that's what I commend, honestly, I commend y'all uh, every Sunday morning as I finish up here, as we sing together, and I pray as we all respond to the word of God, I'm entrusting you to God and the word of his grace. I'm trusting you to God's word and your yieldedness to it because that's what changes lives. Not self-effort, not a commitment to more self-discipline. That is going to end about as quick as the New Year's resolution you made in January. Now, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. A devotion to devotions, you gaining the dependence on on God's word as much as you depend on food or water or, or air. Christian, that is what God uses to conform you to Jesus. Will you be a living, glad sacrifice to God that way? Would you have him and have his word renew your mind to prevent it being conformed to this world? You know, um, the Bible's important. This is not an end in itself. It's not. It's a God-ordained means to bring you into that intimate relationship that satisfies. Uh, to, uh, it's a conduit to, to fullness of joy in life. Uh, that door to pleasures forever. In Psalm 63, 8, David says this, my, my soul follows hard after thee. Your right hand upholds me. You know, and I was reading that this week. I'm just convicted. I mean, could I say my soul follows hard after thee? Because uh, there's two things here. There's effort. My soul follows hard after thee. I want to know you, God. That's why I'm in your word. Not just to check off a box, hopefully a couple times a week. No, because my soul follows hard after thee. There's effort there. And we follow a lot of things. We put effort into a lot of things. Does your soul follow hard after Jesus Christ? And there's another thing there. It's not just effort. There's exclusivity, right? My soul follows hard after thee. After thee. You're primary. You're you're the center of my life. And, And church, with joy, I entrust you to that. I commend you to that this morning. As Tommy comes and leads us in time to respond to God's word, however the Holy Spirit has used his word to move you to respond today, as always, I just ask that you'd obey.